Okay, now we're going to turn um, to our scripture. And this summer, we've been worshiping with this theme, Together We Create, as we move through these dynamic, changing times, creating as we go. Together we serve, together we live life, together we create. We began this theme a few weeks ago with the creation story right at the start of the Bible, Genesis 1, exploring what it means that we are created in the image of God. God has created us and empowered us in all creation to create, to continue to co-create with God. Being, creating beings is part of our DNA. Then we moved on into Genesis, and with Sarah, we considered the creative power of hope, God's power to create through and beyond our imagining. With Hagar, we considered the creative power of lament, the power of lament to break something open in the world, to name something true, the pain of the world, our pain, and to make room for the creation of something new and something healing. And last week on the 4th of July weekend, we considered our freedom for, our freedom to live for the good of each other, to create together with God a world where everyone can love free and this live free. And this morning, we come to this parable that Jesus tells where folks are going about the work of creating. This parable of the sower sowing seeds in the field, rolling up their sleeves, getting their hands dirty, sowing and harvesting abundant crops with God. Together, we create. And I'm going to invite Virginia to come and read us uh, this parable from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Virginia. Listen for God's word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell upon the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. And later, when Jesus was alone with the disciples, he explained the parable to them. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, 
this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Please pray with me. Holy God, may your word find depth of soil in our hearts that we might produce with you and embody for you your abundant grace in the world you love so much. Amen. Parables are tricky. They present like these harmless little stories told by Jesus. Some of them are almost quaint, but the more you look at them, the more questions they raise. The word parable is actually very close to its Greek, and it means to throw alongside. With a parable, the storyteller throws a story alongside some bit of life and says, this is like this. What do you think? In the Gospel of Matthew, it's often the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a net that catches fish. The kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure. But you see, as soon as you start telling these stories, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, you start to go, huh, how's that so? This week, Patrick told me that the Holy Play curriculum describes parables as little gifts, little presents. And every time you unwrap them, there's a different present. You find a new meaning. I like that. I might describe them as puzzle boxes. You turn them around and you look at them from every angle, you slide the doors, you move the pieces, and with each move, you discover something new. Amy Jill Levine, a professor of both New Testament and of Jewish studies, she's actually a Jewish scholar, approaches the parables as the first century Jewish stories that they are, and she cautions that we can't reduce any one parable to any one meaning. As stories, she says, they evoke numerous meanings, and our job is to sort them out. She says we do that first by trying to understand them in their first century Jewish context. How would Jesus's listeners have heard them? And then we try to understand how they translate into our world. Levine also suggests that we look not only at what they mean, but also at what they do, what they put in motion in the world. Parables are generative. They get you thinking. As one writer says, they tease our mind into active thought. They do something in the world, in us, as we sort them out and live them out. Now think about that for a second. Think about a, a better known parable, like the parable of the Good Samaritan that most of us have heard either in church or in the world. Think about how you've seen the parable of the Good Samaritan at work in the world, alive in the world. How has it worked for you? How has it become a part of our culture or not? This morning, we have this parable of the sower told by Jesus as written down in the Gospel of Matthew. There was a sower of seeds who went out to sow seed. Some seed fell on the path and got scorched. Some seed fell on rocky ground and couldn't take root. Some seed fell among the thorns and got choked but some seed found depth of soil and produced a crop a hundred times what was sown. 
Now, this scene would have been familiar to those who first heard this story. Jesus would have told this parable to a first century audience that lived close to the land. They knew what it was to sow seed. That's what they did. Now, Matthew's community, who wrote down the story 50 or so years after Jesus, they also were a Jewish community as what was becoming Christianity was emerging from what would become modern Judaism. There's some evidence that there'd been a split in the community. Maybe Matthew's community had been thrown out of another community, but sometimes it feels like they're arguing against something or somebody. And after Matthew tells this parable, this is one of the few times that we also get an explanation of sorts. Jesus tells the parable to the crowd. He then says, this is hard to understand, and a lot of you aren't going to understand it. And then, as Matthew tells it, Jesus explains the parable to the disciples. The seed that falls on the path and on the rocky soil and in the thorns, that's where the word comes and doesn't thrive. The good soil is where the word thrives and produces a hundredfold. Now, there's a historic reading of this parable that focuses primarily on the seed and the soil, almost like this is an allegory, and says, aha, this story is about those who get it and those who don't. Good seed and bad seed, good soil, bad soil, and they take that and make it an exclusionary reading. And maybe Matthew's community thrown out of another community, maybe they meant some of that, but that's, that's beyond problematic. That reading has been used to do harm over the centuries, and it doesn't fit with the expansiveness of the good news that we find in the rest of the Gospel of Matthew and throughout Scripture. There are better readings than that. So let's keep turning that puzzle box. Some scholars look more carefully at the soil and ask, huh, so what does it mean to be good soil? One scholar says this parable asks us to consider our response to the word. How are we responding? How are we living it out? Another asks, what are the practices that we can cultivate to let the word grow and thrive in us? How can we become good soil? That adds some good meaning. Some scholars then look to the sower. What does it mean that this sower goes out and sows seed, throws seed broadly and expansively on every kind of soil, parched, rocky, thorny, receptive? Does that make any sense? To scatter seed even on soil that might be rocky, sowing seed generously, expecting that it will take root somewhere, somehow, and produce abundance. One scholar writes that this parable accentuates the bold, venturesome sowing of a farmer, which in spite of heavy losses due to various contingencies, gains and produces a rich harvest. We can look at the seed, the soil, the sower. I actually had the chance to worship earlier this morning, Eastern time with a colleague of mine, Floretta Barbie Watkins, and as she preached on this text, she turned that puzzle box all around and looked at all of that, the seed, the soil, the sower. And I suggest that we do all that and hold all that. And also notice, also notice that this parable is about a process, the sowing of seeds. It's about a generative and an inclusive process. It's inclusive. It encompasses sower and seed and soil and all kinds of seed and all kinds of soil. And it's generative. The sowing of seeds is generative, it generates, it creates life, and not only that, it sustains life. What's happening here will produce crops that will feed and nourish life. The sowing of seeds 
is a generative process for a generative season. Now I name that because we too are in a generative season. We've been talking about these past few months as a season of pandemic and of sheltering and of turmoil. And all that's true. It is our world as we experience it. And this is also a generative season, a season of unprecedented creativity, as we have had to recreate almost everything we do in life, not just in church, but in every part of life. We've started to think about that with some intention in the Moving Forward Together team. Now, as I've mentioned, the session has formed this Moving Forward Together leadership team to figure out and to create ways for us as a community to continue to move forward through pandemic, through this world that seems to be changing at every moment. As we're beginning that conversation, we're aware that we will be moving forward into and through a regulatory framework public health regulations in this time of pandemic. And we are also thinking of this as creative work, as design work. We are continuing to create new things, new ways of connecting, new ways of being in worship online, and when we can, new ways for reintroducing ways of being in person again. We are continuing to create. And so the Moving Forward Together team thinking of our work in terms of design, we're adapting a design process, not unlike the scattering of seeds that was developed by the Stanford School of Design. It's commonly called the D School. It's a process for generating ideas, trying them out, seeing how they work, and moving forward through a world of dynamic change. The design process starts with conversation to find out what our needs are, what the community's needs are, what the needs of the world are, and to define the problem we're trying to solve, or better yet, the outcome that we desire in all this. We've started that conversation, and right now we're thinking of the desired outcome in terms of this question. As we move forward through pandemic and modifications in the sheltering in place orders faithfully and safely, how do we craft worship experiences, service opportunities, and ways to connect and nurture that include the most people possible on Zoom and in person that are grounded in what we value most, grounded in Jesus Christ, and that create opportunities for innovating and learning? We are designing together, creating together for that. And over the next few weeks, there'll be opportunities for the congregation to join in that conversation. There will be a survey and some type of Zoom experience that we're still creating. Then we'll generate ideas and we'll try them out. In Stanford language, we'll prototype them. We'll do them, we'll see what works, we'll, find, we'll, we'll see what finds depth of soil and we'll put our efforts there. Now that may sound too abstract, this abstract process. So I wanna get specific. And I wanna take some time today to think about the things we have already been creating in this community and to celebrate that. The deacons have led the way in creating new ways for us to stay connected. Church and society has worked to find new ways we can continue in our social justice work. And just this week, the, the anti-racism group has reconfigured itself. We're gonna be meeting every other week as we think about um, uh, in this time of intentional effort to um, dismantle the structures of racism, how will we match our deeds and our lives up with the words we profess? And I wanna look at worship. 
to stop and notice and to give thanks for what has come to life here in our worship. And let's take a look in some detail at some of the things that we're doing today. And I'm gonna go ahead and bring them up on the screen um, just so we can see them. So this is something that doesn't, may not feel new, but it's something new that we've been doing for the past few months. We, in our Zoom worship, we have actually increased the time that we are spending in prayer. We have this rich time for silent prayer, some silence, some holy silence in worship. And, and while we've been doing that, we've been invited to put prayers in the chat. So I can't follow the chat when I'm, pre when I'm preaching. I'm leading worship. I'm doing too many Zoom things. I get a printout of the prayers after worship so that I can pray with them over the week so that the, the um, uh, moderators of the deacons can do that too. And what's occurred to me is every week in worship, we are actually writing a prayer together. We are writing a liturgy. It is beautiful. It's almost like a poem, but we are doing creative work, writing together a prayer as we are gathered here in this place. Also during our time of worship, we have brought music into that and we're opening our, our, brought into our time of prayer, into our time of prayer, remembering that every time we sing in worship, we are praying. And I think about the amazing things, the new things that folks like Danielle and Natsuko and Robin and Christine and um, the choir have been doing to think about new ways that we can bring music into the life of worship in this new world that we're living in. Now, some things have started out okay, but not run, run into some bumps. So we have really struggled. I really struggled with the offering. At, at the beginning, we had to come up with technologies um, that made it easier to give online just because we were at a distance. And for the first few weeks, that was what I was introducing. Um, and I got some feedback that the offering was sounding kind of mechanical and uh, like a transaction and could we try and make it more spiritual? And I'm going to say that feedback was kind because I think I was starting to feel like I was a televangelist and that really regrounded it to us. So in our time of offering, we're talking about the important spiritual practice of giving our resources. And we're also incorporating prayers of gratitude. The second point in our service where we are creating a prayer together and wrapping up our worship in this gratitude. And then I want to talk about this. So we start every worship with this, and you may be just dead tired of me doing this, going through the Zoom basics. The best analogy I can think of, it's kind of like when you get on the plane and you hear the flight attendant say the same thing that you've heard every time you've ever flown. In the event of a loss of cabin pressure, mask will drop from the ceiling. And if you need to know how to do it and watch it all in gallery view, click in the upper right-hand corner. Um, so anyway, it's important that we do that so everybody feels welcome in the space. But this is really important. Uh, I, I borrowed this from my friend Bruce Ray's Chow, this uh, reminder about grace and this saying grace abounds. It was almost a throwaway when we put it in there, a way of connecting this kind of technical thing to worship. But think about that grace abounds. We have said it to each other in worship. I have heard people start to say it outside of worship. We, we affirm this for each other, this sense of um, grace abounding. And that's pretty remarkable because I think that what we've actually done is we have come back to the heart of our faith. Um, 
these two words, they actually take us to the heart of what we believe in Jesus Christ. In the toughest of times when we're struggling to find our way, when we stumble and when we fumble, when we need God most, God comes to us in Jesus Christ, grace abounds. We are saying that and living that again and again, grace abounds. And I think that takes us back to the parable. Grace abounds. That's what's happening in this generous sowing of seeds as the sower walks through the field, scattering seed with generous abandon, seed for every soil, with the expectation that something good will take root and grow and thrive and give life. That tells us something of how God loves us in Jesus Christ. That shows us something of how grace abounds. Here's how I might tell the parable on July 12, 2020. The kingdom of heaven is like some sowers of seed who went out to sow, and one day they were taken to a field, an unfamiliar field they had never seen before. And as they gazed out on the expanse of arid land, the ground baked in the heat of day, there were rocky patches and brambles and thorns, and they thought, how will we ever do this? But they were sowers of seed, and their families needed to eat. So they picked up their bags of seed and began to scatter their seeds. Now, to be sure, some seed got scorched and some landed on the rocks and some got caught up in the thorns, but some found good soil, depth of soil, and the seeds began to sprout. And those sowers of seed spent their time there. They watered and they weeded and they tended the crop. And by harvest time, the seed they had sown in that field yielded a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. All that's to say there was enough, enough for their families and enough to share with the world. And then in the next spring, when they found themselves in yet another new field, these sowers of seed went out again to sow, because that's what they do. As that parable came to me on Friday, I scrambled to find a piece of paper to write it down before it left me. And what I pulled out of my preaching notebook was a piece of paper that had a writing on it by Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman that I'd tucked away a few years ago. It's called Look Well to the Growing Edge. Dr. Thurman speaks into a world of living and dying, a world of planting and ripening, and he says this. All around us worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us life is dying and life is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new, there shall be new leaves, fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. It is the extra breath from the exhausted lung, the one more thing to try when all else has failed, the upward reach of life when weariness closes in upon all endeavor. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair, the incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and when people have lost their reason, the source of confidence when worlds crash and dreams whiten into ash. The birth of a child, life's most dramatic answer to death, this is the growing edge incarnate. And so Dr. Thurman says, look to the growing edge. Grace abounds.